Welcome to Let's Fix Things, exploring how user experience impacts the world of IoT and connected devices. Hey, Chris. Hey, hey, Joe. How's it going? It's going great. Hey, did you hear the good news? Getting our podcast is now a basic human right. Everybody in the world should be able to get it whenever they want. I, I assumed that was already a human right. I considered that a human right. <laughs> yeah. No, it was in the news last week. It, it seemed kind of a small article, but it's, uh, it's a big win. Uh, the UN now um, has accepted a non-binding resolution, making it a basic human right to get connectivity to be able to receive the internet. They are now condemning countries that shut off the internet when something is happening. We can all think back of when that happened in Egypt with Twitter. They shut down the internet to uh, make sure that people couldn't talk to each other anymore. There's a couple of countries who said no to this resolution. Russia, China, Saudi Arabia. And, um, and so saying no just means they just don't agree with it? Yeah. There was a majority vote, so it was accepted. But since the resolution is non-binding, it's still okay if countries say no. They're just being condemned. So it's a first step. Let's see where it goes. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I uh, you've seen it used. I mean, I think Egypt was, was one of the larger ones. And then also um, China and Hong Kong. When the Hong Kong protests were happening against China, you saw them uh, at one point try to shut down the Internet. And then that, that sort of got sidetracked because of uh, FireChat, which FireChat then lets you have text messages with other people without any connectivity because it uses their phones to bounce signals around. So that was interesting. That's actually a great uh, topic because it, it does connect with the topic that we were going to discuss today. Will our kids pay for data connections or connectivity in the future? Yeah. So th this, this entire conversation started maybe a month ago, and we were sitting down with uh, a VP over at Cognizant, Theo Forbath, who runs the digital transformation uh, uh, team over there. And one of the things that we were debating about was if people are going to be paying for connectivity in the future, 10 years from now, 15 years from now, whatever that would be. And he was pushing very hard that the people wouldn't be paying for connectivity, that connectivity would be, I mean, as, as you just said, a, a basic human right, although a human right uh, doesn't necessarily mean that you don't have to pay for it, just that you have access to it. Yep. So we, we, we've taken some time and thought a little bit more about this and had more internal discussions because it, it was a really good line of questioning to think about what that meant from people who use the internet. Now, I, I think most people in the world do um, in some way, shape, or form. And then also what that means for connected devices and how connected devices, since you're seeing more and more millions upon millions of connected devices pop up every year, what does that mean for those devices? What are they doing? How are they using uh, connection platforms? And then how are they getting to the internet? So that was, that was where the entire topic started and that's what we uh that's what we got to end up discussing today so on the on the surface my first inclination was to say no of course not. like you're always going to pay for connectivity that's how it works that's you know you and that's because that's the world we live in right it's it's that somebody you know the government has basically uh put in cables in the ground or there is infrastructure set up antennas set up around that i tie into and i pay for and i've always paid for those things and i don't get them for free but then we started discussing a little bit more that you see areas in airports, for example, or in restaurants that have free connectivity that you can log on to, let's say that's T-Mobile hotspot at the airport or a Vodafone hotspot. And so you're starting to see these different areas that already provide you with free connectivity. And recently I'd been in Helsinki and in their city center, they had 
free Wi-Fi. That was city Wi-Fi. And my assumption is that, of course, the city paid to put up the infrastructure. With my initial thinking going to, no, of course, we're always going to pay. Once we started digging deeper into the conversation and the topic, it turned to, well, that's actually interesting. Maybe, maybe I won't be paying. Um, you know, maybe I'll end up getting these, these types of services for free. So then we wanted to discuss, well, what, what did that actually mean? What are the, what are the types of uh, spots that you're getting free, free connectivity in? And what's the experience of those different types of spots? And what are the devices that are being connected uh, to those different types of spots? One of the first things that we noticed when we started discussing what the, the types of free connectivity around that you see, and again, at airports or restaurants or whatever, is that there's always, uh, not always, but almost always some sort of advertising model placed in there, which has also became the discussion of, well, okay, if you're going to give away things for free, how do you do that? Okay, well, it becomes, again, about advertising, whether that's physical advertising or whether that's advertising on your phone, that you are in an airport and you, there's a little you know box set up where you're sitting around and that box probably has an antenna in it. And says, Wi-Fi is brought to you by ING, uh, which is a bank, uh, pretty, a pretty well-known worldwide bank, just in case yeah. people don't know. But it is, a, it is a Dutch bank, I believe, correct? Yep. Okay. Uh, yeah, or you see when you log into the T-Mobile hotspot or the Vodafone hotspot that they want to collect information from you. Or even if Karma, right, in the U.S., these little Wi-Fi devices that you can sign up for, and they basically broadcast a public Wi-Fi around you, so... You don't even have to see them at airports. They can just start to pop up at a park bench or wherever somebody is with those MiFi spots. True. You can't put your own advertising in those, can you? That'd be interesting. Like, you know, like th- this, this hotspot brought to you by Joe and Raft, you know. They should make that possible. No, I think, I think right now it's basically broadcasting advertisement for itself. It's like the Discovery Channel showing only things on Watch More Discovery. So you can basically sign up for a, uh, for a connection when you use their Wi-Fi and you get a little bit of free data and afterwards you have to start paying. So then can I set up a hotspot and I haven't looked at Karma in so long. I remember they came out when I was in the U S but so I can basically set up a hotspot and then just have other people have free and people just piggyback on my internet or how does that work? Well, they're saying that it's uh, digitally separated. So they don't use your connection or your data. They're using their own, but it's not a choice when you get a uh, Karma Wi-Fi you basically have two connections. One is your private one, and the other one is the public one. Okay. but And then other people can just simply suck my data away, right? I mean, like so, somebody has to pay in the end. That's what I'm getting at, right? There's still, there's still someone's paying. They're paying themselves. So when okay. you share your connection, uh, you get money or, or, or data for free when you're sharing your connection. And the other person is basically getting a little bit free, and then they're asked to pay for their own connection. And then if they get addicted enough, they can buy their own MiFi box. Okay, so it's so it's yeah, it's a weird sort of half freemium, but get you to sign up model. It's uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, I, I hadn't I hadn't looked at them in quite a while. They're, are they over here? Are they in Europe? Um, no, they're not over here. We have our own version, which is a slightly different one. We have uh, one of our main internet providers here called Zigo, and they have something called Wi-Fi Spots, which is something that comes with your internet subscription. So they are a cable internet provider. And once you subscribe with them, you get Wi-Fi spots for free, meaning that you can basically use other people's modems Wi-Fi by the fact that you are already a paying customer for them. Meaning at home, I use my private Wi-Fi, but when I'm on the go, my phone can sign into somebody else's modem on a separate Wi-Fi channel and use their internet. 
And it's basically an opt-out principle. So the moment you become a customer, it's switched on. And your modem is basically a public hotspot. It, again, someone's still paying for it. Someone's still paying money for it. And I think the other thing is that you, you, if you are a person who's trying to sort of piggyback on these free hotspots, you lose the convenience of always being connected, right? Because you're always jumping around and finding these. Yeah. But in, in 10 years, again, if this is the whole title, will, will my kids pay for Wi-Fi? Well, will there be enough of those hotspots around? So maybe it just becomes larger restaurants and hotels and these things are providing internet for free. Now, whether you have to, again, sign up or something like that, and that, that goes to this, this really weird user experience model that I, I, I truly dislike. So you have all these free Wi-Fi's floating around, right? I mean, I can walk down and through the center of Amsterdam and probably find free Wi-Fi at a lot of different spots, but I have to create different accounts on things, right? A lot of times people want your name, your email address, some of the worst ones. And these, these are what I hate is where it asks you for your phone number because then it sends you a code to enter. And I, I never do those I, because I don't, like, I don't know where my phone number is going at that point. Yeah, and you don't even know what you're signing up for. People can make a page that looks like T-Mobile but is not T-Mobile. And maybe they ask you for making an account with a password. And, you know, typical users don't come up with a new password on the spot. They just use a password that they've used somewhere else. So you might <laughs> be giving I, out the keys to the kingdom right there uh, for free Wi-Fi. Well, someone was saying that they figured out Mark Zuckerberg's uh, password for, from the LinkedIn leak. That was for Twitter. And it was uh, da, 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 D-A, D-A, D-A. So I, I need to go and research this a little bit more. It was on another podcast I was listening to, but everyone was just laughing about it because obviously he probably signed up and didn't really, I'm not, I'm guessing he wasn't tweeting a lot, you know? So uh, yeah, that's a really good point though. Cause I, I know I do well up until you made me sign up for better password security. I was using the same passwords in a lot of different spots. And of course, yes, if somebody then gets my password at that point, it's not too far fetched to figure out that they could uh, somehow get a little bit more from me or, or, or follow me or, you know, these types of situations back to business models then. Okay. So Yes, we're starting to see some free Wi-Fi. It's sort of a crappy experience now because you're jumping from hotspot to hotspot. You're usually having to re-sign up. Or some, I remember I've seen ones where you have to like the people's Facebook page in order to get free Wi-Fi. So these types of things. So it, it does seem like somebody is still paying. So it's not purely provided by companies at an infrastructure level and nobody's paying. It's not provided by the government yet. But it is, it is a service that is, is sort of a value-added service when you stop by a restaurant. Um, but inconvenient. I do wonder if there's some type of uh, hardware software bundle that you could do. Like you, you buy a, a premium MiFi device. I mean, this is like the Karma one almost, and then you get a set of data with that. But again, you would need to have some sort of recurring revenue stream there. And as you said, for Karma, it's basically getting more and more people to sign up for it. So the more people you get to sign up, the more you get for free. Yeah, and I, I wonder if it's advertisement-based, will the operating systems get in on this? Will Will Apple or Google say, hey, we're going to help you make a, a window or a, a way of advertising. Because I remember in the time of dial-up, you had free internet, right? You could just dial a number and it was for free, but you got ads served. So you got this little pop-up window with ads in it. And your internet would shut down when you would click away the pop-up window. So you were fully advertisement dependent, but it was running in your browser. And on your mobile phone, you always have a single screen. So it's really easy to ignore the advertising. So right now, I don't think you can go fully advertisement supported. Unless they every now and then take over your browser screen with a little YouTube video with a commercial in it. Yeah, if you if you can put it further in the stack, so it's at the OS level, that would be an interesting advertising model. Probably, probably one that customers would start to hate. 
But, you know, if you're offering something for free, people are a little bit willing to tolerate some, or something they used to pay for for free. They may be willing to tolerate it. And I mean, because look at how many people will buy the ad free versions of applications. And that's only 99 cents or, you know, $1.99. So if I'm saving 30 euros a month or $30 a month, how much am I willing, how much pain am I willing to, to do, you know? The other, the other business model that would be interesting, and I know you're, uh, Luis, I know you're going to have something to say about this. Uh, so cell phone providers right now, some of them, not all of them, are, are give away things like you get WhatsApp for free. Right? And, and I know from, at least last time I was in the U.S., everything or so much of the cell phones, you don't have a lot of prepaid cell phones. You sign up for a contract, and then you get month-to-month data on things. But over in Europe, you have a lot more uh, prepaid. So you go out and you say, I want six gigs. And that's going to cost me 20 euros. And then I'm just going to run that down. And when I'm out, I'm out and I'm screwed. And I got to go back and top up. And now some companies, so we, uh, we used to work for a company called uh, Join Experience down in Luxembourg. And I think they give you WhatsApp for, for free. And I've seen this with many other companies. And I can imagine a different business model is almost doing away with, with net neutrality in a way that, you know, companies will say, well, we're going to give you all the different, you know, all, access to the internet, except for... Netflix and YouTube or whatever the highest bandwidth ones. And then you're going to pay a much higher premium for those. So you get all the basic stuff that you want for free, but then all of a sudden Netflix is going to cost you, you know, $39.99 a month. And then you also have to pay Netflix to use them. So, you know, maybe there's a different package deal there, but that's another way that I could picture having Wi-Fi for free in the future. Yeah. And you, you can see these parts moving already. Um, All of the telcos together in Europe are sort of holding a gun to the government's head saying, hey, we want changes to net neutrality. Otherwise, we will not roll out 5G networks. So you know that the users, the customers will want 5G. They will ask for it. So it will have to happen. And now they're pressuring the governments into holding out until the governments say, hey, okay, so we can bend net neutrality rules. Let's have people pay for WhatsApp as they paid for SMS uh, before. And and that leads to an interesting change, which is, Previous, you know, from the time that we've been growing up with the internet, the government has basically put in, I mean, it was telephone wires, right? And, you know, people will lay cable and companies will lease that from them. Now you see the telco companies putting up reception towers and they are owning the infrastructure. And, you know, if I'm a, if I'm a, um, uh, what's the, what's the word for mobile virtual network operator? MVNO. There we go. I knew the long, not the short. If you're an MVNO, which is somebody that comes and leases, uh, you know, antennas from somebody else so that they can use their network without having the infrastructure, uh, so is that where everything's going to go? So all of a sudden it's not government controlled, but it's privately controlled. And then those companies have shareholders. They have to have year over year growth. So certainly they're not going to want to just give away services for free. So they could be like, screw you. You're going to pay even higher premiums for internet. And maybe we'll give you a really shitty throttled speed if you want to pay you know, $9.99. But guess what? For you people who want 5G amazing connectivity, that's getting you, well, like 500 megabit per second download for, to watch your streaming 4K videos, you're going to pay $99.99 yeah. a month for that. And, and yes, I'm assuming people like me and you will probably get suckered into that. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't think today we'll answer the question, will our kids pay for connectivity? But I do think we're answering the questions, will our kids have a landline into their house with their internet? They won't. Everybody will just have a 5G modem, and that's it. It's portable, maybe it's not portable, but I don't see the necessity for having a cable that needs to be dug to my house with fiber optic in it. Okay, so then here's, here's the next thing. 
where does Wi-Fi go? Because you're seeing, you're seeing Wi-Fi becoming more relevant and more pushed. You're seeing companies come out with uh, having repeaters, you know, like no more dead zones in your house, especially because, well, I mean, let's bring it back. What, what we do over at Raft is, is work with connected devices. And a lot of those connected devices, well, you know, all of them at some point need to get on the internet. And so even if they're Zigbee or Z-Wave or Bluetooth, they're going to connect to a computer that will have a Wi-Fi signal to a router in your house. But now what changes if I no longer have that router and my router is just a, a MiFi device that is popped into my window, you know, popped into the window that's pulling 4G or 5G signals from, uh, from a tower someplace far away. And I'm using that in my house. And then when I leave, I just take my MiFi device with me. And for those of you who, don't know what, who are listening that don't know what MiFi device is, uh, it's, a, it's a little thing that you carry around in your pocket that gives you a data connection to a, to a 4G uh, or a, you know, a cell tower and uses uh, cell connectivity. But at that point, why, why would I have a home Wi-Fi network? Why is it my computer have a SIM card in it and is connected to a 4G um, you know, connection? It's, it's just as fast for, for most things. Yeah, it's the question like, will you have a modem that translates one signal into another for home? So will you have 4G connection to your home, which is wireless, and then Wi-Fi inside of your home? Or will all of your devices just go on another network where every device has its own SIM card and you don't even have to worry about a modem at all? So there's another thing to talk about from that, which is, again, going back to our, sort of our involvement with connected devices, is the rollout. We've Okay, Wi-Fi, 4G. In recent news over the past, I would say, two weeks, we've had two rollouts of LoRa. Uh, which is an IoT protocol, LoRa, L-O-R-A, for long-range, very complex acronym there. Uh, and this has been in South Korea. So SK Telecom has rolled out a South Korea LoRa network for IoT devices. And this is specifically for IoT devices because it is a very, very small amount. I think it was something they were selling uh, 100, if I remember this right, 100 megabytes of connectivity uh, through SK Telecom in South Korea, and it was something like two dollars, two U.S. dollars. I forget what the Korean won was, uh, but it was it was incredibly cheap because the, it, it's just made to you know basically send like an energy meter, send a reading of a few numbers, a date, and a timestamp, and something like that. Yeah, it's it's long range but low bandwidth, so yes. technically and low battery too. <laughs> yes, yes. So it's really for devices that you put outside, stationary that you don't want to have any maintenance for, but you do want them to have internet. If you put Wi-Fi in there, then you need to have a Wi-Fi hotspot really close. Batteries don't last long. It's just not, it's not good for the upkeep of your devices. But if you have a LoRa uh, uh, measurement device with a little battery on it, it can last for months before you need to do anything about it. So a little solar panel can just keep this thing going. This is, this is a good point to bring up about. Uh, why, when people, people who aren't familiar with connected devices and they just think, well, why the hell is this Zigbee and Z-Wave and LoRa? Uh, if you have a connected device that is, does not have a constant power source, or even if it does, Wi-Fi drains batteries very, very quickly. Uh, you're talking in the matter of, of a few months at points. So if you want a device that you're replacing the battery with once a month or once every other month, that's why people aren't often using Wi-Fi and they come up with low power, and in this case, long range. Uh, or low power and short range. So uh, Z, uh, Zigbee, I think, is uh, several meters, like 10 meters or something. But that's also why Zigbee has a mesh network, because then each individual device can act as a repeater for other devices around it, uh, creating a mesh. 
But that's the reason why it's important to distinguish Wi-Fi from 4G from these other types of uh, IoT protocol networks because they all do serve fundamentally different reasons and they do have a fundamental uh, different output on the user experience. Yeah, so to talk about actually what are they using this LoRa network for because at the moment it doesn't sound like it's something that is directly for consumers. It's more for businesses and larger companies that are trying to roll out lots of things at the same time. Yes, yeah, and we... um, uh, well, I should also mention that it wasn't just South Korea. Sorry, the second one was Netherlands. Actually, we, we were first. Huh? Ha, we were first. We were, we were, we were oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry about that. Ne- paving the way for the future. <laughs> yeah, so, so South Korea rolled it out, and then Netherlands uh, rolled it out. But then Netherlands was through Zigo? Uh, no, KPN. KPN, okay. Yeah. And, and for those listening in the U.S., this would be like a Comcast or AT&T over here. So it's, it's also a nationwide network. I know we're not a big country, but it reaches until its borders. 18 million. It's not small. If you're, I mean, if yes, if you're in the U.S., which uh, and I, I quoted this wrong. I said 380 last last uh, week. I looked this up. I think the U.S. is like 310 or 320 million. Uh, but still, it is it is quite an ambitious project. And there's now there's multiple LoRa networks because it's worth bringing up that there's the Things Network yeah. in Amsterdam so that also rolled out a LoRa network. That's a bunch of guys who said, okay, it's nice that you have this paid for LoRa network, but that's not helping us hackers with actually innovating on these things. So they did a small six-week Kickstarter project in which they rolled out a LoRa network that covers the whole of Amsterdam. And it felt very easy to them to do this. So now they're on a mission to do this in all cities in their world, to have a more open network that is free to use for people. They're even developing their own LoRa gateways because right now a gateway can cost you anywhere between $1,500 and $10,000. And they're developing their own for a much lower price point. So let's talk what LoRa is good for. Because I've seen a few things in the news about why people are using it. And, and these are, the number one thing I see constantly is farming, is agriculture. Because it, these things are cheap to set up from infrastructure. They have, how long is, do you remember how long the range is on these? Yep, it's uh, 30 kilometers if you're in line of sight. So, of course, that gets less in, in uh, urban environments. But if you're talking agriculture, you actually have a very, very long range. So this is where you look at, you can... Do sensors for irrigation, uh, sensors for sunlight, uh, these types of uh, situations. And you can then better control water usage. You may be able to better control energy usage. And you and this infrastructure is fairly cheap to set up comparatively to other things, fairly long range. And all of a sudden, you can create better agricultural situations uh, from these few sensors. If you look at urban environments, the, the standard ones I've heard are energy metering, water metering, so it is much more on the back-end infrastructure. I don't see people necessarily having LoRa light bulbs. Yeah, it's, it, what they're doing is creating all these measurement points for creating big data sets. I know we've always been talking about big data, and, and, and we've heard the hype about big data, but then we've never seen the impact of big data besides um, social data gathering. Uh, There's social networks that are gathering all this information, and Google is gathering all of this information, but actually just energy measurements through the city to measure how much electricity we need at what point is something that's still difficult to predict because we don't have enough sensors yet. Not only that, but you think within Europe and within the U.S., and this is where I see most of of the people who are listening to this podcast based on on where our downloads are, are, are coming from, but if you look at developing countries, if you look at Africa, if you look at India, if you look at these types of countries that may have rolling brownouts, 
uh, or they don't have necessarily access to as much uh, water reserves. These are, are quite important statistics that if you have more large data without, throughout your country about how to manage these types of utilities, this can actually save you a lot of, uh, a lot of time and money and actually produce better output at a country level. Yeah, machine learning is now becoming available for people to use. It's not only the area of universities doing big research, but even we can go and download a machine learning library and get it to run in an hour. Now, we do pay for this, by the way, because this, and this is one of, uh, tying this back in and why we're bringing this up, will our kids pay for, pay for uh, connectivity? These networks are still being set up by larger companies, and they are still charging money for it. The exception to this is what we mentioned, the Things Network. I'm, I'm sure there's plenty of others. We just know the Things Network because they're local to Amsterdam. But at a large-scale level, the people that your utilities are going to use are going to go to KPN. They're going to go to SK Telecom. Uh, to get their connectivity, they're going to once again pay for that. You may see more uh, startup situations that offer free connectivity, but it, it still doesn't seem like the norm. It still seems like there is going to be uh, some sort of model that provides money. Within developing countries, one of the more interesting articles I, I've read was Angola, uh, I believe in Africa, was trying to give away internet, right? This has been one of the whole things. So, so you, you brought up the UN at the beginning. Yeah. And Mark Zuckerberg has been a big fan of, of connectivity, should be a right for people. Yeah. And they were trying in Angola to give away Wikipedia and Facebook uh, for, for public consumption. And people started to figure out how to place videos, like full-on movies, within Wikipedia and Facebook. And that's how they started to pirate things. And so there's this whole situation that you know, you're trying to give something away and it got taken advantage of. And yes, these videos are taken down after you know, a few hours or a few days. But it, it's, you know, where there's a will, there's a way. Yeah, I think it's brilliant. These, these companies that offer these services, they don't realize how, how brilliant people can find ways around normal ways of using things. Yeah, and, and to that point, uh, how much when people want to, they can probably screw with the security of these types of things, right? So, so what, what for people who are sharing movies, we've also talked about public, uh, public Wi-Fi or public connectivity, having security risks associated with it. Yeah, and you see it a lot in, in free Wi-Fi that you're actually not connecting using a, using a Wi-Fi secure protocol. You're just connecting straight to the server without actually having an encrypted connection. I always have VPN on my phone turned on when I'm at, when I'm at the airport, and I, don't, you know, I, I hope that's doing its, its job because uh, I go through my own server in that case. Yeah, I think you're one of the few paranoid people who actually has VPN. That's because I've learned from you, Dad. I learned from you. Well, I, I, I know, for instance, um, Opera is now offering a browser with built-in VPN for mobile phones, helping you actually to surf more safe. Another issue that's been interesting with that, uh, that was actually just brought up. So, you, okay, so you have the issue of, yes, maybe Wi-Fi is going to be free, but the, what security comes at the cost of that? Uh, who's to, to steal something you said earlier, or is, is, you know, what's the trade-off between free and security? Yeah, I think we won't be paying for a connection anymore, but I think we'll be paying for our security. So as you said, you have a VPN. Not everybody has their own server, and even a server, if you have it, isn't free, but maybe you'll be paying for VPN, and maybe you'll be paying for a certain partner that you trust, and you pick out the company where you think their security is good, and they're going to keep my data on my own. There's always a trade-off, right? We, like Personal information or free internet? Security or free internet, right? Where, where, where are you going to go on this one? And even within the, um, the IoT space, 
I, I've been recently I'm reading that there's still problems with, there's lots of problems with security within the space and you're having so many devices come out. And if you're connecting more and more devices, let, let's say that again, in five years from now, connectivity, you know, is offered in my building. Let's say it's not offered by, you know, it's not done by me personally. And so all of my devices are now signing into this sort of building Wi-Fi. How much does that expose uh, to everybody else? And there's been plenty of documented situations uh, around, I, I think actually, let me, let me find this one here. I, I'm a big fan of Philips Hue. You've heard me talk about it before. And there was recently Bitdefender did a breakdown of a lot of different IoT devices. And I am flipping through this to try and, and find this. But they did one of LifeX, and LifeX basically does a bootstrap hotspot to get your, your, the credentials for your Wi-Fi. So you set up your LifeX bulb, and then it uh, opens up a Wi-Fi network. You join that Wi-Fi network. You give that Wi-Fi network your credentials. Then you go back over to your Wi-Fi network, and then at that point, the device has the credentials for the Wi-Fi network uh, in itself. But there was an issue that... Uh, people could then set up another bootstrapped hotspot. I'm looking for this uh, so I can read this actually from it. It was, it was quite interesting. Uh, here we go. Okay. When setting up the LifeX bulb, uh, a bootstrap hotspot is created to manage initial configuration with the phone. But by later creating an identical fake bootstrap hotspot, a hacker could capture the username and password of the existing broader actual Wi-Fi network. So now we have free Wi-Fi in the future. And we have a bunch of unconnected devices, or sorry, unsecure unconnected devices around us. And what, what does that mean at that point, right? So, so you get free Wi-Fi at the cost of, again, security. And th this, this may not be in 10 years. Things like you may see this starting to come up in, you know, just a few years. Th think of it in, in college dorms right now or university dorms where it may be offered by, you know, Wi-Fi may be offered by the, the campus. And someone sets up these bulbs and then someone else can just get right into the network, get other information out of that. Yes, we may have free Wi-Fi down the road, but it sounds like there's going to be a lot of problems to overcome or at least a lot of inconvenience on the user experience side. Yeah, it sounds like I need to be preparing a topic on uh, security for some of our next podcasts. I don't think we have a conclusion. Well, okay, I'll have my conclusion. I disagree. If, uh, if, if, if Theo, if you are listening to this, I got I to gotta say that I disagree after thinking through all of this, even though we had a very nice discussion on it previous that Wi-Fi is, is not going to be free, at least in the next decade, just because of who's building it and what's happening. You know, if, you're, if, if we ever get somebody back in Amsterdam who's also a defender of this, I'd love to have them on the podcast and we can have a discussion about it. But at this point, I'm struggling to see a business model, number one, that really allows companies to do this. I'm struggling to see that, uh, you know, but maybe I'm wrong here that people are going to give up that level of privacy or information collection. Although the information collection, I could see they'd give up a lot easier, but I, I don't know. Look at what people have given up in the last five years to get, to get connectivity with Facebook and with Google. So maybe I'm completely wrong on this. It just doesn't seem like, it seems like we're almost going to, you know, in, in 10 years, some sort of you know, side loss of net neutrality, even though it's not a, a total loss. And yeah. Yeah. I think you won't be paying for connectivity just for security. Oh, that's uh, that's another topic for the future. So, okay. I think we're good for, for this week. Chris, uh, anything else on your mind? Not yet. Let's see if another IoT device dies this week. <laughs> well, at least we're finding out that, the, the, that there's, uh, it, I don't know if they'll die, but they're certainly having a lot of, uh, a lot of problems. 
So I will talk to you next week. Bye, man. Later.